0: SECTION 1 OF A BUDGET OF CHRISTMAS TALES This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson CHRISTMAS TALES A CHRISTMAS CAROL by Charles Dickens STAVE 1 MARLEY'S GHOST Marley was dead, to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did how could it be otherwise scrooge and he were partners for i don't know how many years scrooge was his sole executor his sole administrator his sole assign his sole residuary legatee his sole friend and sole mourner and even scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event but that he was an excellent man of business on the very day of the funeral and solemnized it with an undoubted bargain the mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood, years afterward, above the warehouse door. Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley sometimes people new to the business called scrooge scrooge and sometimes marley but he answered to both names it was all the same to him oh but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone scrooge a squeezing wrenching grasping scraping clutching covetous old sinner hard and sharpest flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster the cold within him froze his old features nipped his pointed nose shriveled his cheek stiffened his gait made his eyes red his thin lips blue and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice a frosty rhyme on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him, no wind that blew was bitterer than he, no falling snow was more intent upon its purpose, no pelting rain less open to entreaty. Foul weather didn't know where to have him. The heaviest rain, the snow, and hail, and sleet could boast of the advantage over him in only one respect. They often came down handsomely, and Scrooge never did. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say with gladsome looks, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was o'clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. But what did Scrooge care? it was the very thing he liked to edge his way along the crowded paths of life warning all human sympathy to keep its distance was what the knowing ones call nuts to scrooge once upon a time of all the good days in the year on christmas eve old scrooge sat busy in his counting-house it was cold bleak weather foggy withal and he could hear the people in the court outside Go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts, and stamping their feet upon the pavement-stones to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. It had not been light all day, and candles were flaring in the windows of the neighboring offices, like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air. The door of Scrooge's counting-house was open, that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who in a dismal little cell beyond, a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room, and so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part wherefore the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle in which effort not being a man of strong imagination he failed a merry christmas uncle god save you cried a cheerful voice it was the voice of scrooge's nephew who came upon him so quickly that this was the first intimation he had of his approach bah said scrooge humbug he had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost, this nephew of Scrooge's, that he was all in a glow. His face was ruddy and handsome. His eyes sparkled and his breath smoked again. "'Christmas a humbug, uncle,' said Scrooge's nephew. "'You don't mean that, I'm sure.' "'I do,' said Scrooge. "'Merry Christmas. Uh, what a right have you to be merry?' what reason have you to be merry you're poor enough come then returned the nephew gaily what right have you to be dismal what reason have you to be morose you're rich enough scrooge having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment said bah again and followed it with keep christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine keep it repeated scrooge's nephew but you don't keep it let me leave it alone then said scrooge much good may it do you much good it has ever done you there are many things from which i might have derived good by which i have not profited i dare say returned the nephew christmas among the rest but i am sure i have always thought of christmas time when it has come round apart from the veneration due to its sacred name and origin, if anything belonging to it can be apart from that, as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem, by one consent, to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow-passengers to the grave. AND NOT ANOTHER RACE OF CREATURES BOUND ON OTHER JOURNEYS. AND THEREFORE, UNCLE, THOUGH IT HAS NEVER PUT A SCRAP OF GOLD OR SILVER IN MY POCKET, I BELIEVE THAT IT HAS DONE ME GOOD, AND WILL DO ME GOOD, AND I SAY GOD BLESS IT. THE CLERK IN THE TANK involuntarily applauded, BECOMING IMMEDIATELY SENSIBLE OF THE IMPROPRIETY, HE POKED THE FIRE AND EXTINGUISHED THE LAST FRAIL SPARK FOREVER let me hear another sound from you said scrooge and you'll keep your christmas by losing your situation you're quite a powerful speaker sir he added turning to his nephew i wonder if you don't go into parliament don't be angry uncle come dine with us tomorrow." scrooge said that he would see him yes indeed he did he went the whole length of the expression and said that he would see him IN THAT EXTREMITY FIRST. BUT WHY, CRIED SCROOGE'S NEPHEW, WHY? WHY DID YOU GET MARRIED? SAID SCROOGE. BECAUSE I FELL IN LOVE. BECAUSE YOU FELL IN LOVE, GROWLED SCROOGE, AS IF THAT WERE THE ONLY THING IN THE WORLD MORE RIDICULOUS THAN A merry CHRISTMAS. GOOD AFTERNOON. NAY, UNCLE, BUT YOU NEVER CAME TO SEE ME BEFORE THAT HAPPENED why give it as a reason for not coming now good afternoon said scrooge i want nothing from you i ask nothing from you why cannot we be friends good afternoon said scrooge i am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute we have never had any quarrel to which i have been a party but i have made the trial in homage to christmas and I'll keep my Christmas humour to the last. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle! Good afternoon, said Scrooge. And a Happy New Year! Good afternoon, said Scrooge. His nephew left the room without an angry word, notwithstanding. He stopped at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, for he returned them cordially there's another fellow muttered scrooge who overheard him my clerk with fifteen shillings a week and a wife and family talking about a uh, merry christmas i'll retire to bedlam this lunatic in letting scrooge's nephew out had let two other people in they were portly gentlemen pleasant to behold and now stood with their hats off in scrooge's office they had books and papers in their hands and bowed to him scrooge and marley's i believe said one of the gentlemen referring to his list have i the pleasure of addressing mr scrooge or mr marley uh, mr marley has been dead these seven years scrooge replied he died seven years ago this very night we have no doubt his liberality is well represented "'By his surviving partner,' said the gentleman, presenting his credentials. "'It certainly was, for they had been two kindred spirits. "'At the ominous word liberality, Scrooge frowned and shook his head "'and handed the credentials back. "'At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge,' said the gentleman, "'taking up a pen, it is more than usually desirable "'that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute.' WHO SUFFER GREATLY AT THE PRESENT TIME. MANY THOUSANDS ARE IN WANT OF COMMON NECESSARIES. HUNDREDS OF THOUSANDS ARE IN WANT OF COMMON COMFORTS, SIR. ARE THERE NO PRISONS? ASKED SCROOGE. PLENTY OF PRISONS, SAID THE GENTLEMAN, LAYING DOWN THE pen AGAIN. AND uh, THE UNION WORKHOUSES, DEMANDED SCROOGE. ARE THEY STILL IN OPERATION? THEY ARE still returned the gentleman, i wish i could say they were not under the impression that they scarcely furnish christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude a few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth we choose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices um what shall i put you down for nothing scrooge replied oh you wish to be anonymous i wish to be left alone said scrooge since you ask me what i wish gentlemen that is my answer i don't make merry myself at christmas and i can't afford to make idle people merry i help to support the establishments i have mentioned they cost enough and those who are badly off must go there many can't go there and many would rather die if they would rather die said scrooge they had better do it and decrease the surplus population besides excuse me i don't know that but you might know it observed the gentleman it's not my business scrooge returned it's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's mine occupies me constantly good afternoon gentlemen seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point the gentlemen withdrew scrooge returned his labours with an improved opinion of himself and in a more facetious temper than was usual with him at length the hour of shutting up the counting-house arrived with an ill will scrooge dismounted from his stool and tacitly admitted the fact to the expectant clerk in the tank, who instantly snuffed his candle out and put on his hat. "You'll uh, want all day tomorrow, I suppose," said Scrooge. "If uh, quite convenient, sir." "It's not convenient," said Scrooge. "And it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used. I'll be bound." the clerk smiled faintly and yet said scrooge you don't think me ill-used when i pay a day's wages for no work the clerk observed that it was only once a year oh poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every twenty-fifth of december said scrooge buttoning his great coat to the chin but i suppose you must have the whole day be here all the earlier next morning. The clerk promised that he would, and Scrooge walked out with a growl. The office was closed in a twinkling, and the clerk, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no great coat, went down a slide on Cornhill at the end of a lane of boys twenty times in honor of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town, as hard as he could pelt, to play at Blindman's Bluff scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book went home to bed he lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner they were a gloomy suite of rooms in a lowering pile of building up a yard where it had so little business to be that one could scarcely help fancying it must have run there when it was a young house playing at hide-and-seek with other houses, and have forgotten the way out again. It was old enough now, and dreary enough, for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, the other rooms being all let out as offices. Every room above, and every cask in the wine-merchant's cellar below, appeared to have a separate peal of echoes of its own. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes, he fastened the door and walked across the hall and up the stairs, slowly, too, trimming his candle as he went. Half a dozen gas lamps out of the street wouldn't have lighted the entry too well, so you may suppose that it was pretty dark with Scrooge's dip. Up Scrooge went, not carrying a button for that. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door he walked through his rooms to see that all was right quite satisfied he closed his door and locked himself in double locked himself in which was not his custom thus secured against surprise he took off his cravat put on his dressing-gown and slippers and his nightcap and sat down before the fire to take his gruel as he threw his head back in the chair his glance happened to rest upon a bell a disused bell that hung in the room and communicated for some purpose now forgotten with a chamber in the highest story of the building it was with great astonishment and with a strange inexplicable dread that as he looked he saw this bell begin to swing it swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound but soon it rang out loudly and so did every bell in the house this might have lasted half a minute or a minute it seemed an hour the bells ceased as they had begun together they were succeeded by a clanking noise down deep below as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar scrooge then remembered to have heard that ghosts in haunted house were described as dragging chains the cellar door flew open with a booming sound and then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below then coming up the stairs then coming straight toward his door ah humbug still said scrooge i won't believe it his color changed though when without a pause it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room before his eyes Upon its coming in the dying flame leaped up as though it cried, I know him, Marley's ghost, and fell again. The same face, the very same, the chain he drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made, for Scrooge observed it closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, Ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. How now, said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever, What do you want with me? Much. Marley's voice, no doubt about it. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? said Scrooge, raising his voice. Your particular for a shade. He was going to say to a shade, but substituted this as more appropriate. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you uh, sit down, asked Scrooge, looking doubtfully at him. I can. Do it then scrooge asked the question because he didn't know whether a ghost so transparent might find himself in a condition to take a chair and felt that in the event of its being impossible it might involve the necessity of an embarrassing explanation but the ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace as if he were quite used to it scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands before his face mercy he said "'Dreadful apparition! Why do you trouble me?' "'Man of the worldly mind,' replied the ghost. "'Do you believe in me, or not?' "'I do,' said Scrooge. "'I must. Uh, but why do spirits walk the earth, and why do they come to me?' it is required of every man the ghost returned that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow-men and travel far and wide and if that spirit goes not forth in life it is condemned to do so after death it is doomed to wander through the world oh woe is me and witness what it cannot share but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness the spectre raised a cry and shook its chain and wrung its shadowy hands you you are fettered said scrooge trembling tell me why i wear the chain i forged in life replied the ghost. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Scrooge trembled more and more. Or would you know, pursued the ghost, the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself it was full as heavy and as long as this seven christmas eves ago you have laboured on it since it is a ponderous chain scrooge glanced about him on the floor in the expectation of finding himself surrounded by some fifty or sixty fathoms of iron cable uh, but he could see nothing jacob he said imploringly "Oh, jacob marley uh, tell me more speak comfort to me jacob i have none to give the ghost replied it comes from other regions ebenezer scrooge and it is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men nor can i tell you what i would a very little more is all permitted to me. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house, mark me. In life my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. And weary journeys lie before me. It was a habit with Scrooge, whenever he became thoughtful, to put his hands in his breeches' pockets. Pondering on what the ghost had said, he did so now, but without lifting up his eyes or getting off his knees. You must have been very slow about it, Jacob, Scrooge observed in a businesslike manner, though with humility and deference. Slow, the ghost replied seven years dead mused scrooge and traveling all the time the whole time said the ghost no rest no peace incessant torture of remorse you travel fast said scrooge on the wings of the wind replied the ghost you might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years said scrooge the ghost on hearing this set up another cry and clanked its chain hideously o oh, captive bound and double ironed cried the phantom not to know the ages of incessant labour by immortal creatures for this earth must pass into eternity before the good of which it is susceptible is all developed not to know that any christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere whatever it may be will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused yet such was i oh such was i but you were always a good man of business jacob faltered scrooge who now began to apply this to himself business cried the ghost wringing its hands again mankind was my business the common welfare was my business charity mercy forbearance and benevolence were all my business the dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business it held up its chain at arm's length as if that were the cause of all its unavailing grief and flung it heavily upon the ground at this time of the rolling year the spectre said i suffer most why did i walk through crowds of fellow-beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode were there no poorer homes to which its light would have conducted me scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the spectre going on at this rate and began to quake exceedingly hear me cried the ghost my time is nearly gone i will said scrooge but don't be hard upon me don't be flowery jacob pray how it is that i have appeared before you in a shape that you can see i may not tell i have sat invisible beside you many and many a day it was not an agreeable idea scrooge shivered and wiped the perspiration from his brow that is no light part of my penance pursued the ghost i am here to-night to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate a chance and hope of my procuring ebenezer you were always a good friend to me said scrooge thank you you will be haunted resumed the ghost by three spirits scrooge's countenance fell is that the chance and hope you mention jacob he demanded in a faltering voice it is i-i think i'd rather not said scrooge without their visits said the ghost you cannot hope to shun the path i tread expect the first to-morrow when the bell tolls one couldn't i take em all at once and have it over jacob hinted Scrooge. "'Expect the second on the next night "'at the same hour, "'the third upon the night "'when the last stroke of twelve "'has ceased to vibrate. "'Look to see me no more, "'and look that for your own sake "'you remember what has passed between us.' "'The apparition walked backward "'from him toward the window "'and floated out upon the bleak, dark night. "'Scrooge followed to the window,' DESPERATE IN HIS CURIOSITY, HE LOOKED OUT. THE AIR WAS FILLED WITH PHANTOMS WANDERING HITHER AND THITHER IN RESTLESS haste AND MOANING AS THEY WENT. EVERY ONE OF THEM WORE CHAINS LIKE MARLEY'S GHOST. SOME FEW, THEY MIGHT BE GUILTY GOVERNMENTS, WERE LINKED TOGETHER. NONE WERE FREE. MANY HAD BEEN PERSONALLY KNOWN TO SCROOGE IN THEIR LIVES. HE HAD BEEN QUITE FAMILIAR WITH ONE OLD GHOST IN A WHITE WAISTCOAT with a monstrous iron safe attached to its ankle who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below upon a doorstep the misery with them all was clearly that they sought to interfere for good in human matters and had lost the power for ever whether these creatures faded into mist or mist enshrouded them he could not tell but they and their spirit voices faded together and the night became as it had been when he walked home scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered it was double locked as he had locked it with his own hands and the bolts were undisturbed he tried to say humbug but stopped at the first syllable and being from the emotion he had undergone or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, went straight to bed, without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant. End of section 1